0: Welcome to the Christian Education Podcast. My name is Paul Matthews, and today I'm bringing you a discussion with Simon Matthews. Simon is first and foremost, at least to me, uh, my father. He's also been a classroom teacher and a school principal. He's previously served as a CEO of Christian Schools Tasmania and presently serves as the executive principal of Cairo Christian School. Now, it would be no word of a lie to say that if I lined up all the influences on me in my understanding of education and my practice in education, well, Simon has had a greater impact on me than all the other influences combined. That's why I was really eager to talk to him about how we lead students to love education, not just to put up with it, not just to tick the boxes. How do we lead students to love education? Because in many ways, if you get that right, everything else is much easier. If they understand, if students Get down in their bones that God is inviting them to know more about him and more about his world and to do that in the context of a Christian community, well, their gratitude is really going to grease the wheels for the whole rest of their education. But of course, the flip side is true, isn't it? If they don't value their education, if they're indifferent to it or maybe resentful of it, we're going to have a hard time moving the needle with that student. Simon gives us some good tips on how to deal with both students, the student who loves it and can't get enough, but also the student who has a really hard time learning at all. I was amazed, actually, by how often Simon brought up the role of the parent. Many times in this podcast, we've discussed that God has given the duty to educate children to parents. And of course, they can partner with a school, but that's what it is. It's a partnership. Not an outsourcing or an offloading, but a joining together in the shared task of educating the child. I guess it does stand to reason then, doesn't it? That if a student is going to love their education, then that has to start at home. How are you talking about your school around the dinner table? Are you praying for your teachers? Do you give thanks for the way that God has shaped your head and your heart and your hand in your education that day. These are just some of the great ideas that Simon touches on in our discussion. And as always, if you're listening, know that Simon and I, before we hit the record button, we prayed for you. If you're a parent or a teacher or a wider community member, we pray that you would love education yourself and that you'd love God and his world and you'd model that to those around you. And if you're a student, and I do know that many students listen to this, then we have prayed that God would give you a great gratitude for and thrill in your education. Well, Simon Matthews, welcome to the Christian Education Podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Paul. It's uh, my first podcast, so looking forward to it.
0: Now, I of course know you very well, you being my father. Uh, both in the flesh and in the faith, one could say. Uh, however, there will be people listening who don't know you as well. So would you be kind enough to give us a brief educational history of mm-hmm. yourself? Sure.
1: Um, moved into education as a early childhood teacher, so lots of kinders and preps. Uh, did that in the state service in Tasmania, Australia. Uh, and worked in that space for about 10 years, moved into some educational consultancy, particularly in the area of disability and difference, uh, for five years and then moved into Christian ed as a principal and then um, CEO of a couple of different groups of schools, so working in a CEO executive principal role. Now have been in Christian education for nearly 20 years.
0: And you would say that that's something you've been able to dedicate your life to, by by God's grace, for the last few decades.
1: Yes, yeah. Um, Again, uh, well beyond any capacity I had to plan or or scheme, but, uh, yeah, have moved into that space uh, quite uh, uh, sovereignly, I think, and, yeah, have loved and lived in that space for a while and yeah finding it very fruitful
0: and of course i've been sitting in the back seat watching all of this happen and in many ways it does seem like god's hand has been guiding you along the way because um uh, from from job to job i can see with with each successive job you're sort of drawing on skills and abilities that you learnt in your uh previous roles and now you're the principal of a network of schools we don't i don't think we have a a similar role in tasmania but you're currently an executive principal, so what would you be doing? What would your day-to-day life look like? Because we're mostly, most of the people who listen to this podcast are classroom teachers or parents. And so you're in a role as executive principal. What are you doing regularly and what are you overseeing in your schools?
1: Sure, so I currently work in a multi-campus school, so spread across uh, five sites. and uh, if I have to give a position description of what I do, uh, I talk about my role being about uh, governance and culture and strategy and risk for that group. We've got about 1,800 students, about 400 staff. Uh, so each uh, campus has its own principal, and so I work really betwi- with the principals and between the principals and the board, uh, thinking about those four areas of governance, culture, strategy, risk for our organisation. Um, and so, yeah, not, uh, not right at the coalface, not meeting and working with students every day and not even working and dealing with families every day, uh, but predominantly board and, and executive leadership.
0: Fantastic. And one of the things you mentioned there is something I'd like to touch on in an extended way today. So you talked about really the buck stops with you when it comes to the culture of your school. Culture is incredibly important. It's something we touched on in the very first episode of this podcast where we talked about it. Culture is the sort of the lifeblood of the school. It's the philosophical um, underpinnings the religious ideas made concrete the, religious, the religion instantiated um, and a school with a bad culture you can smell it in the air and no one wants to be there a school with a good culture people are flocking, they're lining up at the door, they're accused, people are booking their kids into kinder years in advance. Now, you've been on about culture for some time. What are some of the things that you think are signs of a healthy school culture?
1: Really pleased we're starting with such a simple question, <laughs> getting us <laughs> off to a good start. Um, look, I think um, it's it's obvious, um, but I think culture The indicators of culture are what you see and hear, Uh, so if you were to stand as an invisible person in the staff room or in the quadrangle or in the back of a classroom, what words uh, are you hearing, what actions are you seeing, uh, how are you experiencing how people are looking at each other and uh, what they're doing as they walk past each other and what are the words being said and so uh, what, what's on the wall, uh, how are people talking about the school and to each other uh, when the leadership aren't around. Culture is one of those interesting ones where, yep, um, leaders are responsible for it but are not are uh, able to deliver it uh, alone and so it really comes down to how leaders are working across a school to set clear expectations, to work toward those, so rejoicing and celebrating and acknowledging when you see the stuff that you, that you want, um, but also addressing it when you don't. So uh, what does that look like, how are you going about it and even the very way that you address it when you don't see it is shaping it so everything we do has an impact on culture Um, so i know that's that's pretty high level but they'd be the sorts of things that i'd be um be be on about you know what's our language about what are we talking about what are we giving our time to what are we displaying what are we celebrating Um, how are we going about our day in a way that says that's important
0: an underappreciated area of culture, I think. It's easy to talk about executive level or teacher level culture. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority of people on our campuses are students. Mm-hmm. You said you, in your organisation, 400 staff, mm-hmm. 1800 students. Yeah. And so really at the end of the day, when we are wanting to see this rubber hit the road, we want to see that good culture completely infused within the student body. Schools are about education. They're about formation. One of the things that we've spoken about many, many times is that a positive school culture is where students love to be educated. So that's not just putting facts in heads, but when we understand education holistically, as the scriptures reveal to us, we're learning about God. We're learning about his world. We're learning how to be truly human in this world God has given us. Uh, Students who love that road of education. So I guess my question for you then, Simon, is what are some of the levers that we can pull? We want students to love education, and you can tell in schools when they don't love their education, when they don't appreciate it, you you can see the culture, it's starting to circle the bowl. It's not good. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the things that we can do as classroom teachers that whole school communities can do to really try and instil this sense of a love for education within the students.
1: It sounds paradoxical but I think the first thing that you don't do is try to aim for having kids love education. (laughs) I think the first thing you do is you're really clear uh, about exactly what you've described uh, about what are we doing to form young people. Uh, And so again, if we go back to the beginning of God's story, we get a really clear picture uh, of why we have been created as humans. We've been created uh, in a very simple way to love and worship God, to love and serve each other, and to understand and rule, and and I want to be careful in the way we talk about use that word rule, and care for all of God's creation. So that's the fullness of purpose. And so that's what we've got to be clear about um, in, in education. If education's not dealing with and forming young people in those three areas, then it's a deficient Education. If it's only about teaching kids quadratic equations and, um, you know, the history of the French Revolution, then we're actually deficient. If we're not encompassing uh, an understanding that students need to know and love and worship God rightly, they need to know and love and serve each other well. And they need to uh, learn what needs to be learned in order to be able to... Uh, uh, take care of and take control of and use God's world to, uh, to glorify him, then it's deficient. So I think the first thing we say is, let's be really clear about what our education at our school looks like. And obviously the first place the the obvious place and in a sense the easiest place you're doing that is with your colleagues and so uh, I think lots of conversation, lots of uh, grappling, lots of thinking together, lots of praying together about that. The second thing I think we've got to do is we've got to get parents on board about that and my reflection as an educator in Christian education has been that that's probably been the part of the puzzle I've Done least well and probably provided least effort too. So I think if we can actually get parents on board saying, yep, we understand what you're on about and we agree with you and we're with you. Now, they may not feel that they have all the skills or the capacity or the theology uh, t- to, to, uh, to contribute hugely, that's okay. Uh, we're talking about working in partnership in a way whereby we can work together toward that end in those three areas, loving God, loving each other and, and, and knowing and loving and, and uh, caring for God's, God's world. So I think that's the second thing. The third thing is to then in age and stage appropriate ways actually make that really clear to all students, whether we're talking about students in kindergarten or whether we're talking about kids in year nine or students graduating. Um, I think we're being explicit in age and stage appropriate ways with them in saying we are not here, you are not here, just to have your head filled with facts. It's more about that. So we are going to spend time thinking about and understanding God and how he has called us to live rightly, how he has called us to live rightly with each other together and how he has called us to respond to the wonder and the amazement and the norms and the, and, and the existing knowledge of this world and, and, um, and how we can use that to continue to live in, in the world in a God-glorifying way. So I think we need to have those conversations. So really, for me, that's about you know, good conversations, hearty, honest, deep conversations with colleagues, um, with families and, and with students uh, about that very stuff. We don't sugarcoat it, we don't um, uh, s- gloss over it. We, we're really serious about saying this is, this is why we do what we do.
0: And when you have a, uh, that trifecta, students, yeah. professional educators, yeah. parents, yeah that's really a three-legged stool when it comes to the education of the student to the point where you take one of those away and you're going to have a really hard time getting any stability. Sure,
1: sure. And of course, you know, people who founded certainly the Australian Christian schools that, that, that I'm, I've been involved in, those sort of uh, parent-governed and parent-controlled schools, they, they would talk about the, the three-legged stool, including the church. And I certainly don't want to... Uh, exclude that in it. Um, I think engagement with an understanding in the church is a key part of that. But certainly, uh, I think when we're talking directly about contributors to culture, you're, you're really thinking parents,
0: students, and, and, and colleagues. And when we talk about the garden, mm. about Adam and Eve being created to to know God, yeah. uh, people from our theological heritage yeah. have long thought of the purpose of life. We've framed it in such a way that to say. Uh, the purpose of life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Yep. And in many ways, that's a simple way to view the world. I think it's a biblically faithful way to view the world. Mm-hmm. But it also gives us an easy in when we're trying to discover the telos or the, the purpose of our organization. If, the, if the, the chief end or the point of life mm-hmm. is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, we have a very quick and easy answer for what the point of education is. The point of education is actually to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Just like the point of making a sandwich or writing a novel. Once we know the overarching goal of our human existence, what we were put on this earth to do, we can understand uh, everything that falls under that. Each subset of our human existence, we can trace back to our ultimate purpose. And this is where where there's a great quote that has permeated through educational literature for many years. You'll be familiar with a fellow called John Milton. So he was a 17th century English poet and intellectual. He wrote Paradise Lost, a fantastic exploration of many Christian themes. But this is what he says about learning. He says the end of learning is to repair the ruins of our first parents by regaining to know God rightly. So he's saying, actually, in the garden, something went horribly wrong. Where there was previously harmony with God, harmony between one another, and harmony between us and nature, each relationship was fractured. And education is actually repairing the ruins left by our first parents. So we're relearning to love one another, to love God, and to love the world around us. So we're drawing one another deep, deeper into that purpose and, as, as Milton would say, repairing the ruins.
1: Hmm. And I'd say I'm into that, and I would want to add that that goes beyond the, um, the classroom and even the school gate. And so if we think, if we think of the Deuteronomy picture of... Um, you know God speaking to his people, saying, I, I am God. I want you to love me with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength. And I want you to teach your children how to do that. Um, when? Um, on Sunday mornings when they go to Sunday school. No, whatever you do, when you're walking, when you're gardening, when you're playing footy when you're at home around the dinner table, when, you're, when your children have just had a Barney, um, when they've been rude to their mum, uh, when um, the wheels have fallen off a family holiday. We are no end of time to say, that's when I want you to do it. And I think that that extends into this sphere of what we would call formal education. And so I think, think you're right. So I think I would agree with Milton if he's talking about the, um, you know, the big understanding of of families educating their children, I'd say, yeah, and I think that that extends into the, what we would call as formal formal education. Um, that's part of what we're to do, but but really that needs to start. that I don't believe there's any substitute for that starting in the home, led by families um, with that understanding of what the big picture is of of what the big goal. God has given them for their children Uh, and so and that's why for me um, Christian education is just an absolute um, uh, necessity in whatever form that takes but some sense of saying we're going to do this firstly as family parents but secondly with whoever we believe will partner with us well but that that's it so yeah I couldn't agree more.
0: And that's combating a reductionistic view of education which says uh, it's the job of the school. So we rightly as Christian educators would push back, say it's not actually the job of the school. The job of the school is not to educate the child, it's to help you in your duty to educate the child. And we're overjoyed when parents partner with us in that. But we are clear with them where God has shown us that ultimate responsibility lies. So we see it's it's the task of professional educators in our schools, uh, students and parents um, to form good culture where education is upheld, uplifted, valued. And so when it comes to students, I've noticed myself, I have students, I'd love to have more than I have right now, but I have some students who love their education. You and I are both cyclists. Teaching to a student who loves education is like riding with a tailwind. You're going, I can't believe how fast we're going. I can't believe how easy this is. Teaching to someone who doesn't want their, who doesn't value their education, doesn't love it, it's like riding into a headwind. You're going, crumbs. I'm expending all this energy. I'm burning this many calories. I'm not making much headway here. Every teacher wants to teach students who love their education. So we've talked very high level here about forming a culture where education is valued, specifically now narrowing in on the student. So, how are we going about communicating to students the value of their education? Many a teacher has pulled their hair out saying, you guys don't understand the opportunity you've got. You're here, you're at a Christian school, there'll be people all over the world. You know, there are people who walked 10Ks in the rain to school today. or you're having a hard time not playing Flappy Bird on your laptop while I'm talking to you. So how are some of the what are some of the things we can do to get this message through to our students?
1: Yep, yep, okay. Um, yeah, look, great question. Um, and again, I think the the easy answer, and sometimes the default answer, is to say, uh, I've got to start with the students and again I want to back away from that a bit let me say the first thing which is uh, I'm I'm honored that you think that we're both cyclists Paul uh, yeah. I, I'm a, I'm an aging guy who rides a bike but um, yeah tail, tailwinds are fun tailwinds are fun and, and coming into a class where kids are just eager and keen and you know self-motivated great fun But I I have to say that my experience of both teaching and seeing young people learn is that possibly the most challenging yet rewarding and even potentially lifelong benefit comes from the headwind. So the first thing I want to say, I think, is that when we experience a headwind, I don't think we want to drop our heads and just go, mate, this is terrible you know, it's all over Red Rover. I think we've got to actually say, for whatever reason, God has called me to this work as an educator. Um, I've got kids who are not, students who are not seeing the purpose of this. Uh, they're not motivated. Um, my, my lessons aren't clicking. Uh, we haven't got this golden relationship that's just, you know, uh, sunshine on a stick. Um, sometimes that's actually the time when a, I am most dependent on God, crying out to God as an educator, saying, God, through uh, you know, through the truth of your word and the inspiration of your spirit, show me how I am to love you and love these students in this place. The second thing is it, it's interesting that sometimes the students who really have to dig deep and learn different skills and dispositions because of that head, headwind um, are sometimes the ones who... A, really surprise you, but B, are uh, going through something that f- because God has a particular purpose. And, and so I think that's the first thing. But let's get back to the question around, um, you know, uh, how do we help students love education? The first one is I think you've got to say, again, that falls in the lap of me as a parent. I struggle having the idea that a parent comes to me and says, I'm really disappointed, you know, I'm paying all these fees and you haven't motivated my kid to love education. Um, the question I want to say is, OK, so what's happening around your dinner table? Who, how are you working with your child to, um, to A show them the value and the love and the benefit and the purpose of education. What's happening uh, around your dinner table? What's happening as you head out the door of a morning? What's happening when they get off the bus in the afternoon? How are the conversations going? How are you talking about the teachers that they have? How are you encouraging them and telling them how much you appreciate the teachers? So I think there's a whole lot of stuff there that families can be doing where they're actually saying, as a family, where, you know, Uh, celebrating the privilege we're we're actually talking about the fact that the child that we sponsor actually um sits under a tree and has three pencils and, and a bit of cardboard you know so we're celebrating that we're rejoicing in that we're turning up to school to say thanks to thanks to teachers we're um acknowledging teachers in a really purposeful meaningful way when we're sitting around the dinner table at night we're praying for our teachers, Uh, so what are we doing? So I think the first thing I'd say is that me as a parent has the first responsibility to help my student love. I think the second thing is as as teachers, we've got to be able to to really understand how we're going to celebrate every win in the classroom. Um, Yes, it's fantastic when we see our motivated kids, high-flying kids, great. Celebrate that and rejoice in that. But when this particular child remembers to bring their homework, when this particular child um, has a breakthrough, when this particular child shows a particular disposition that we've been working on for two weeks, let's celebrate that. Let's actually. So I think as teachers, we've got the opportunity to do a lot of celebrating and i'm not talking there about empty sort of um pat on the back self-esteem you can be who you want and you're the best i've ever had i'm not talking about that i'm talking about really recognizing where a student is putting in where they're making effort and really celebrating and and acknowledging that what that requires is that i know students really well and that's beyond just what i see in my mark book that's really knowing uh What switches them on? What's hard work for them? Uh, What are they looking forward to? What are they anxious about? Um, what, What are their big hopes? And so that actually takes time and effort and energy. So in those, particularly those early weeks of the year, what am I doing to really know kids? As opposed to ensuring that they uh, know, you know, all of the rules about what's out of bounds and what's not, um, what nights they're going to be having there, which homework and making sure that all their books are labelled. Yes, the administrative, the the the, uh, the stuff that makes a school work well is important, but it's also really important that I get to know and keep getting to know students. So I think that's the second thing. The third, the third would be that I think students have a great opportunity to... Um, build that culture across age. And so um, the schools where I've seen some of that really exciting stuff is when you've got your kids in grade three who are really engaging well with the preps and welcoming them. And then you've got, you know, the kids in grade seven who are working with those students in grade fives and saying to them, in two years time, you're going to be in the big part of the school or whatever, you know, and you've got your grade nines who are celebrating and working hard with your fives and teaching them about social schools. And then you've got your graduating kids who are coming back to your year tens and saying, let's have a talk about what the really important things for your next two years are. So I think that this culture, and it's it builds on itself, but I think, we don't give enough credence and time and energy to saying to the students what is it that you can do to make uh, a a really positive culture a a a blessed experience um, for those who are following you but also you know how are we honoring those who have gone before remembering that so i think that that's where students can really play a strong part and it's interesting i think that we where we land with all of that is it's not actually about an individual student in a school and it being good and exciting for them. This, what I've talked about is about community. And so I think the more we can say, how will we, how will we building a community that celebrates and loves and um, rejoices in the benefit of community within an educational setting, I think they're the things that actually stoke the fire for a kid to say, you know what, I really like it here. There are good things because well, My mum and dad talk about it positively. My teachers celebrate. Um, I've got got, uh, students above me and students below me who are a real blessing to me. Um, So I think they're some of the things that are really crucial uh, in making sure that we have a culture where kids love to
0: be. And one of the things that I wholeheartedly agree with is that we need to make sure culture, students don't envisage culture as something that happens to them. So you just talked about getting students to go across grades. If they're going up, they're going down. And nothing can be more important than that in my estimation. It would be such a shame if a, if a child is able to go through a Christian school and they believe that Christianity is something that the teachers do. right? It's something that happens around them. Or the, the culture is something that they get served up. Or education is something that gets sort of shoved in front of them. Actually, the school is a... An educational community it's a learning community and so yes of course there, that's going to be flowing mainly in the direction from the from the teacher to the student but some of the most powerful moments I've had in a classroom is where I've taken my year nine or ten students over to the primary school and as part of an academic extension exercise my nines and tens have actually taught the primary school students and that was phenomenally powerful. Students I'm now teaching who were in primary school, who are coming back up um, through grade seven and eight, say we can't wait to get back in because they wanna be part of that positive student culture. The, one of the key ideas here as well is, um, I think, platforming your senior students. Now, there's an irony there because sometimes it goes really, really well for the seniors. And sometimes you get a picturesque example of what, you know, the prodigal son looks like when he's just thrown away his entire inheritance. You've got some guys doing f- fantastic work and some people absolutely shredding it. But I'm convinced that students, as they're coming through their school, they need to have a really concrete image. What does this look like if it all goes right? What? What kind of person am I going to be? If we understand education is shaping the whole person, not just the mind, we've got the head and the heart and the hand, what does it look like for me if this goes really, really well? And this comes back to John Hattie's success criteria. We have that in our lessons. Each each, each student who comes into my humanities class should know what a successful lesson looks like. Well, what do my students think is successful formal education looks like, because that's going to be absolutely vital to their appreciation of it. If they can see seniors walking around the campus, or you know, grade 10s, or say, if they can see grade 6s walking around their primary school campus, and they go, man, I, I, they look up to them, they appreciate them, they see them modeling good behavior, and they go, you know, maybe um, if, I, if, if I'm able to focus and pay attention, maybe I could become that. Um, to me that's an incredibly powerful motivating factor, a concrete example of what success looks like in their education.
1: Mm. And, and I think we want to go broad and deep in that unless let me explain that a little bit. I mean I think we want we are tempted continually to come back and say success looks like and then shape something that's actually quite, Academic, so I think we want to be, in the broadest possible way, celebrating all the successes that our students um, are, are achieving. Whether that be um, uh, cer- certainly the academic, we, we want to do that, and I think we tend to do that pretty well in our schools. But you know, and 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 then we, you know, I think the sporting and the and the arts. We again we tend to do that pretty well, but yeah. Um, celebrating um, achievements um, that might only be known to to a, you know, where a, where a, a student has worked really hard and been able to um, achieve a, a job after school that really took a fair bit of discipline or, you know, being able to uh, achieve something in the community. We, we need to be celebrating when our young when our younger students are, are leading um, you know, um, children's church or things like that, you know, when they're actually playing um, in a band at church that's leading um, others in, in vocal worship of the Lord. Uh, I think we want to be able to find lots of these ways and lift up and celebrate and acknowledge when students are achieving in all sorts of ways. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I think we want to be careful... Um, that we don't limit uh, success criteria to having to be achieved by year 12. Some of the best success criteria I think we want to look at in, you know, the next decade or two beyond school. And so how do we actually get uh, those people back and say, hey, I was a student who really struggled at school. I, you know, I didn't do X, Y, Z very well. But um, now I've actually, I own a plumbing business or now um I'm a mum uh, with three kids or now I have just, uh, you know, I'm the first um, female executive in our advertising business or whatever. So I think that we want to be able to um, really celebrate um, uh, the way that we see the formation spilling beyond year 12 into, again, all of life and being able to stay connected in ways that let us continue to celebrate that and bring that back and, and say to the student in year nine, hey, what's your, what's your hope? What's your dream? Oh, I, 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 really, um, I really want to be a, a personal trainer. Okay, let me tell you about a guy I used to teach 15 years ago who's actually gone out and got his own business now and, and he's, he's doing this and he was really struggling at school. Let me tell you about, about Jamie. And and I think those sort of stories are also success criteria that we've got to keep dragging back into the school context and celebrating because the the reality is for many students we will not see that real shining and um, um, ruling and uh, caring for all of God's creation uh, until well beyond the school years.
0: I have a very personal example of that. I think I am a parable of that exact principle. I mean, without going into too much detail, although it's fairly well known, you're a CEO of a a bunch of schools. And while you were the CEO, I was suspended from one of those schools around that time. Perhaps you were were in the organisation. It took me a long time, a long time to start flying right. Mm. And I'm incredibly grateful to God for the lessons I was able to learn after school and probably for some of the sort of um, the righteous godly time bombs that were, were placed in my life by my Christian education that just didn't go off right away. They they took some time and they were, they were instilled by my school, by my family, by my church as well. And it's important to have those sorts of student stories too, because there are many students who flourish at school, but there are a, a corresponding mass, perhaps even a bigger um, group of people who actually don't quite get it all together in their formal education. They get enough, but they don't go the whole hog. And when it, when it comes to celebrating, and that's a consistent theme that you've talked about for this in, in, entire discussion, um, being able to celebrate the fruit Um, of education Mm -hmm. after the formal years are over is incredibly important because it gives those people who are having a really hard time great hope. There's there's a a great quote, uh, I believe it was from Aristotle, who said, the root of education is bitter, but the fruit is sweet. Now, that's not true. There are some people who just love it all the way through, but there are some people going through our schools and they need to be shown the fruit. Because right now the root, it's sort of, it's taking, uh, the education is taking root, it's growing, it's bitter, it's hard. But that fruit, we need to continue to show them, that fruit is so sweet and that's what we're working for. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, you, you raise that story. Uh, I
1: remember having a conversation with a colleague who, who wasn't a Christian and wasn't uh, an educational colleague who wasn't a Christian and wasn't involved in Christian education. And we were having a chat about uh, about where we sent our children to school. And he, he ended up saying to me, oh, you know, you've, you've chosen independent education. And he wanted to know why. And he was looking for the, well, it, that, that they, you know, they've got the best academic outcomes Um, they've got the best facilities uh, they've got the best co-curricular program Um, um, I go there because my kids won't um, you know rub shoulders with 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 kids I wouldn't want them to and I you know to all of those I had to say no no actually that's not the reason the reason I've chosen the school I chose we chose as parents was because they were the people we wanted to work in partnership with that was the end of the story now anything beyond that was a thank you God bonus. But the, the, the real heart of it was who will partner with us, with our kids, not give up on us, not judge us, but just slowly walk that path. Uh, and so I, I think, again, we're talking you know, about culture. Well, that's, that, that's rich in the culture when you've got people who you say, I want to partner with them. They're patient, they're long-suffering, they'll walk alongside us, they won't judge us. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm in it for that.
0: I like that a lot. Now, switching gears slightly, teacher modelling is incredibly important. Luke 6.40 is a verse that comes up in educational contexts. the words of Christ. The student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Modelling is incredibly important in the classroom. If we want students to love education, and this is really simple, if we want students to love education, we need to love education. You actually can't give what you don't have. So if you're walking in and you're dry, you're bone dry, your passion for teaching, it's a wasteland and yet you're wringing your hands and you're going, why aren't these guys getting it? One might say, well, because you're not getting it. Uh, Douglas Wilson is an educator and pastor out of the United States and he wrote a small essay called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teachers. This is the first habit. He says, A highly effective teacher will love God, love life, love the students, and love the subject he teaches. So if we want students to love education, we have to experience uh, ourselves that broad spectrum love. Love God, love life, love the students, love the subject they teach. If we're able to show that broad spectrum love, well, that's catching, that's um, intoxicating. If you see someone who is so passionate about something, um, that there's a magnetism, a gravity to that. So if we're able to ourselves um, love our God first and foremost, which is what we were created to do, and under that, nested rightly under that, love our lives, love our students, and love the subject that we teach, well surely that's setting our students up in the best possible position to love their education.
1: Two responses to that briefly. One is, um, I remember very early on in my uh, career as a educator, I read some pretty basic, it was, it was research that was a pretty uh, broad, you know, many thousands of students. Uh, so it was a large um, cohort uh, for the data. But the findings were just basic. Um, When kids were asked, when students were asked, um, what makes a good teacher? Who are the teachers that you really connect with and really respond to? Uh, The top three things um, uh, were um, um, a teacher, teacher knows my name, a teacher knows something about me, and a teacher is excited about what they teach. Now, you'd have to say, that the first two of those are that simple, you know? And, and when kids were saying, you know, know something about me, it wasn't that, you know, my name's Johnny and my surname's Harriet, you know, it's not that, it's like, Johnny, and I know you like BMX. I know that about you. And I know on the weekend you've got a race and I'm gonna find out about that on Monday. Uh, and then of course it was about, there was an excitement about about the subject. so. I remember reading that and and almost thinking that has just got to be too simple. You know, it can't be can't be that basic. So I think at that very level, if all I do every day is make sure that every student in my class I use their name, I try to connect in some way. Not with every kid every day, but every kid every week, about something beyond the classroom, something beyond my subject, something beyond your, your assignment's not in. Uh, I think it's a good start. And then, of course, that bit about, uh, you know, being passionate about that. Um, I think the other thing that is uh, right about modelling, and that is, I think, we've got to have an authenticity to ourselves um, that are and again it's age and stage appropriate obviously but I think we've got to as as educators we've got to show that we don't know everything that we've actually got questions that we've got things we don't know that we've got things we want to learn about you know and sometimes a, a student will actually be an expert in an area that I don't know about and I want to say that wow, you know an awful lot about that man there are some questions I've got. Can we talk about that sometime? You know? So I think that's one thing. The second thing is I think we've got to be able to show students that we fail. Um, if, um, you know, if, any, if most teachers are like me, you're very quick to want to cover up your mistakes, your failures. And so I think being able to show students that actually I fail. In a Christian school, being able to show students that you sin and that God has an answer, God has a response for my sin. Uh, So I think being able to do that. I think being able to, um, out of that, also apologise and and seek forgiveness in an appropriate and a right way. Uh, I think those things are really crucial to building a right relationship as opposed to, you know always having a fun, having a joke of the day, all those sort of things, you know. No, not necessarily, you know, but um, if I can show students that I'm real by being able to express to them in appropriate and respectful and respect-receiving ways that, like them, I have questions and doubts and failures, um, that I, too, don't know everything, that I, too am someone who wants to learn more and understand more about God's world. um, I think that's incredibly powerful. But again, that requires some headspace and some emotional energy and a right understanding of good relationship with a class before you can do that. I don't think you open up with that on day one, but I think that's where you're working toward. Same with your colleagues, same with your families, I think, you know. um, So what are we talking about there? We're talking about living life in its fullness and in its vulnerability um, in wherever we happen to be. And if that's in front of a group of students in a classroom, well, I I need to live life transparently and authentically in that space too.
0: And then maybe parents listening to this going, what what, what do you mean uh, share your sin or uh, confess your sin um, and let me say, as someone who still is on the coalface, yeah. there are absolutely no shortages of opportunities to show where you've sinned. Yeah. And if any teacher out there says that they've got nothing to show, I, I would I would want to spend five minutes of them um, in a classroom because um, if if you're a teacher, if you're a parent listening, and you go, "Oh, that you know that sounds a bit funny," um, most teachers you're outnumbered twenty to one. Not everyone is towing the line all the time. In fact, you've got people trying to pull you in seven different directions. And there are some times, believe it or not, where you don't respond as appropriately as you would like to. And they're very, very teachable moments because it, what it actually shows is a love for right relationship. If you blow your stack at a kid and then brush it under the carpet, what what you're saying is me being right with you is unimportant. or well, it's at least less important than me being perceived to be right by you all the time. And so, how, how, how do we train uh, young people to value right relationships and seek harmony with one another? Well, by seeking harmony with them when we've done something and it will be inevitable when we do something that doesn't lead us into right relationship with them. Mm. Uh,
1: and I think part of, let's go back to the very first statement you made, you know, education is about the formation of the whole person. Well, part of the formation of the whole person is helping them realise and understand they are human, that they have humanity. They will be tired. They will have finite time. They will have finite other resources. They will fail to have marked an assignment by the time I told you I would. It's all of that, you know, I don't have to open up in my deepest confessions of my lusts or whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm I'm saying um, I I, I, I said to you uh, at the beginning of the week that by the end of the week, we would be um, exploring um, this piece of work. Uh, I need to tell you, for a number of reasons, I haven't got it done and I'm sorry about that, but I'll make every attempt to have it ready for next week because I know this is really important for your learning and I know you're all looking forward to it, so I'll certainly endeavour to do that, Because, um, but I haven't been able to do that and I'm sorry for that. You know, So even very minor things like that, I think, are actually part of... Um, showing students, um, particularly, and I want to be careful about talking about, you know, the good old days versus the, you know, the youth of today, but particularly in a culture where the, our social media wants to portray humanity to a level of perfection that is just not real. So let's actually be real. Um, I think many, particularly younger students, want to look up to teachers and their educators and just think that that they're almost God, you know? Well, no. Um, You know, Miss Miss Jones um, um, didn't do that right yesterday when I spoke that way. Uh, Mr Harris was wrong when he said dot, 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 dot. Um, Yeah, uh, being able to to, to put it there, to model uh, repentance as needed, to be able to pray prayers of seeking forgiveness and offering forgiveness. Uh, I think all of that is about the formation
0: of exactly what we're after. And all that ties into teacher loving their students loving their discipline again if you've got a teacher and you can tell they're not interested in learning what on earth is going to entice you to be interested in learning you're going to have to be one of those one percent of kids who would sit and read the back of cereal boxes all day for fun Um, so that needs to be modeled to close uh, i think students also need to understand the game we're playing here now we are very clear and have been clear on the sort of expectations of teachers. Students need to understand, I believe, um, the role they're playing in this, in this game because um, we've, we've talked about it before, but uh, student is in some ways an office. Like teaching is an office, it's, it's, it's a position you sit in that has certain inherent rights and responsibilities. Now the word student actually comes from the Latin studera. Now I'm no Latin scholar, I hear a lot of these sorts of things secondhand, But studera means eager. So we actually get the word student from a Latin word that means eager or zealous, or keen. And so there's a sense in which if you've got a, if you've got a room full of 20 people and they're not interested, you may have 20 warm bodies, there's a sense in which you don't have 20 students. And students need to be reminded or in fact told for the very first time that their their job, their their calling at this stage in their life is to be eager, to be zealous. That's what a student is. A student isn't someone who comes and jumps through 14 years of hoops to get their certificate. A student is someone who's actually eager, and we catch that in the Christian framework, eager to love God, eager to love uh, their neighbour, to love others, eager to love the world around them, eager to love their particular discipline of education that they're in at that moment, and education as a whole. That's, that's not an optional extra, that's not for the top 5%. That's actually what you're here to do.
1: Mm. Yeah, a c- couple of things quickly about that as we close. Um, the, the first one is, again, as long as we hold that hope, that expectation for a broad understanding of education. And we're not just talking about a a, a, a cognitive development. And so let's think about the student who um, is is passionate about um, um, caring for animals, animal husbandry, but is not enamoured with maths and English. so how are we stimulating that, growing that, using that as a motivator for the rest of their learning? So I think as long as we're understanding that, that we want to see a zealousness uh, for them as learners without necessarily putting too many caveats on it, understanding that the society we live in actually puts a premium on and supports and expects there to be particular uh, outcomes from a formal education. But I think the first one is let's not narrow that down to everyone being salivating about quadratic equations. Let, let's be realistic about that. But yes, I agree with that. Um, I think the second thing is that sometimes that only comes after the effort has been expended. And, and and I'm probably telling you a story more with my dad hat on here than than an educator hat, but you know, when Veronica and I, my, my wife and I, were uh, were blessed to both enjoy and have access to in Tas- growing up and uh, living in Tasmania with our growing family, to some really nice bushwalking. Now, our hope was that our boys would grow to love the outdoors and experience that. But it, we didn't, what we didn't get that by sitting around saying you are going to love bushwalking. What we did was we took them out, we did it. They moaned and groaned, and we cajoled and encouraged them, and you know laid food on the track and. Did all sorts of stuff to get them through what happened at the end of the walk they said oh oh that was good you know there was there was in there was a reward and a, and a liking and a sense of achievement but we didn't get that till we all back in the car and there was this warm glow of having done it so sometimes I think education can be about Supporting and disciplining, I think that's not, not as in physical punishment, I'm talking about encouraging the discipline of achievement, small bites, small steps, getting students through and saying, there you go, there you go, you actually got through year eight maths. Uh, there's a sense of achievement in that, well done. So, you know, this sort of Carol Dweck stuff around mindset, it can be really a big part of that. And it's not sometimes until you're out the other end that some uh eagerness or acknowledgement or achievement or sense of pride can come um, so i think we want to not give up too quickly on looking for those green shoots of that um, so yeah I, I don't have a problem with what you're saying as long as we're uh, expecting that across the full range of motivations and experiences and um passions that students have and will have, uh, but also uh, I think sometimes getting to the, get, getting people to the end of the journey is actually part of them saying, oh, I can look back and say, yeah, that was really great.
0: That's true. You, you can't navel gaze your way into motivation. You, no. you can't sit there, um, roll up the newspaper, hit people on the head until they're motivated. And this, and this is something that we'll talk about in a future discussion, but... You're familiar with the work of James K.A. Smith. Yep. Uh, you put me onto him initially, and he's been paradigmatic. He's been paradigm shaping for me. Um, but one of his central themes is that you you often don't think yourself into a new way of acting. You actually act yourself into a new way of thinking. Yep. We see this really basically when we're talking about yep. jogging. Yep. People hate it. They don't sit on the couch until they love it and then go running. Yep. People usually hate the first three weeks of it, yep. and then after a month, two months, three months, they can't go a day without going for a run. Same is true if you're trying the keto diet or paleo or sugar free. The first while is actually pretty torturous. So you, it, you can't, as an educator, be the, the kid sitting in the backseat of the car going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Do you love it yet? These things have to be formed along the way, which interestingly enough, to circle back to our Deuteronomy 6, is exactly where they're meant to be taught. So it, it's, it's not as if there's an abstract yeah. educational setting yeah. which you have to motivate yourself into some sort of passion to then go out into the world. Yeah. Actually, as you said, this is integrated mm-hmm. into everything we do. The, the teaching is not isolated from the doing. Mm-hmm. There is a reciprocity there, a symbiotic relationship. Teaching, uh, doing, learning, mm-hmm. acting... Yeah. It's all happening together, and we find the most potent combination because that acknowledges our humanity. We are not, as we've discussed before, brains on sticks. If we were, yes, we could could think our way into a new um, state of being.
1: And that's why educators and parents need to be on the same page. So let's go back to Year 8 maths. Um, The success I'm looking for as a parent is not that my student is coming home and saying, I love Year 8 Maths. Or even, I love Mr Jones who teaches Year 8 Maths. The success of Year 8 Maths is Mr Jones and I being on the same page and saying, my daughter's going to learn Year 8 Maths. Along the way, she's also going to learn discipline and perseverance. Along the way, she's also going to uh, be stretched and learn some mindsets about how to overcome and in that, she's going to be understanding that sometimes the task is, uh, is to hang in there and master the content despite, despite not absolutely being passionate and excited and being able to tweet about it all the time. Uh, why is that important? because there's probably going to be about another 37 million times in my life where those qualities are going to be needed again. So let's be learning them now. So I think um, Mr Jones and I are being on that same page and seeing that bigger formation question uh, as being part of that, as opposed to, uh, you're not a very good teacher, are you? My, My daughter still doesn't like E rate maths. I mean, that's such a, such a narrow view of an understanding, and it's actually not a formation issue at all. It's a, um, a you know, are you amusing my child? No, we're not, we're not about amusing your child. We're about forming your child in ways beyond Year 8 maths uh, because we actually believe we've been called to something bigger than knowing Year 8 maths. We've been called to something far grander and far more beautiful than that. So let's, let's partner in that.
0: Well, we started with a goal of wanting to discuss students who love to learn, students who love education. Uh, And while we've covered a slice of the pie, I think we could sit here and talk for hours. Uh, We won't do that, but we will pick this up in further discussions. Uh, Let me close by saying thank you very much, Simon Matthews. It's been an honour to have a chat with you about this sort of stuff. Um, This is the vocation to which we've both been called, and I I pray that God blesses you uh, in your role. Um, and the other teachers and educators and parents who are listening to this podcast as we seek to craft and uh, form students with a healthy love for for God and nested rightly under that, a healthy love for their uh, education, for those around them and for the world God has put them in.
1: Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it.